Hi, I'm your host, Thomas, data scientist, data engineer, and you're listening Let's Talk AI. On this podcast, we receive experts to talk about their experience, visions, challenges, with no fear to go into technical details. If you're looking to learn more about AI and related subjects, you're at the right place to make yourself comfortable and enjoy. If you like this episode, please give us a review on your favorite streaming platform, such as Spotify or Apple Podcast. You can also find more content on my LinkedIn newsletter. Welcome everyone to this new episode of Let's Talk. I'm super happy to be here with Megan Liu. Megan, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me here, Thomas. I'm super happy to uh, to have you on the show. Uh, I have many questions, uh, a lot related to data, data careers, uh, dev role, uh, your new role, also the fact that you've been creating content for some time. Uh, you have amazing SQL courses and more. So uh, we'll get into all of that. But first of all, maybe for the people who might not know you, could you share uh, a little bit? Uh, how would you describe yourself in a few sentences? Yeah, um, I'm Megan. And the way that I would describe myself varies depending on who I'm talking to. Um, if I'm talking to people who are not in tech, I will say that I work in marketing. If I talk to people who are in tech, I will say that I work in data science. In reality, I do a bit of both. I am in a somewhat like product marketing role at a data science company. But prior to this role, I was a data scientist. So depending on who I'm talking to, I just want to make it easy on them because um, DevRel is not a super straightforward um, <laughs> thing to understand, but I'm happy to dive into that uh, later in this talk. Right. We'll definitely ask you more about the DevRel uh, dev role. Uh, dev role, role. Um, and uh, that's interesting that you start like that because uh, I believe that in... Like when you tend to go like software engineers, statistics, data analysts, data scientists, it can get scary fast when you when we just share with close ones that are not uh, like in tech or something. Um, exactly. So I like how you, I like it. I, I might use it to be fair. Um, yeah. Like just, uh, I add value with numbers. Uh, okay, so okay. I just want to capture uh, your vision at the moment. Um, and then I would love to do a retrospective of what you've been doing and, and some insights on your career. But um, um, what are you trying to achieve today? So, so that's a very uh, wide question, and I always li I like to ask it. But um, uh, could you answer it in any way you want? What am I trying to achieve today? I I would love to grow within the data science space, uh, maybe take on leadership roles in the field, because I really think that the field of data science is one that you and I are both very involved with, um, but there are nuances to um, working in data science that like other industries don't have. And I, I do like those nuances. Like um, we are first and foremost, the ones who are at the forefront of like AI innovations or mm. the fact that, or, or just like the very unique aspects of the data community um, that I have been really entrenched into in, in like the past three years that make me 
think that this is the path for me. And so if I want to make this, if I want to continue on this path, I really want to grow into a a leadership role one day. Um, I know that's super vague, but um, I have been an individual contributor um, for all three of my my roles in in the data space. I was a data analyst and a data scientist, and now I'm in uh, DevRel. And um, each one of those learning experiences, I have kind of been um, the person who is doing the the work day in and day out, working on uh, the ground to do those like analyses or like writing blog content, right? Which is great. And I've, I've learned a lot, but I think one day um, would love to try to empower other people to do the same. Um, but this answer changes from day to day. Some days, like I hate talking to people and I'm like, I could never be a manager. And then other days I'm like, this is cool. Like I like, I like being able to teach people things um, and being able to share my perspective to help others. So on those days, I'm like, yeah, I think a management role, a leadership role is the next step for me. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I would see myself in the next couple years. Um, but things can change and um, I could have a different vision another day. Uh, but as of right now, today, when you ask me that, I'm like, yeah, maybe maybe a leadership role within the data space. Makes sense. You you may you you reference uh, different interesting things. Um, uh, I believe that I would like to transition directly to like a, a short um, um, a retrospective of what you've been doing so far. You mentioned that you were a data analyst and data scientist, and then DevRel. Um, could you maybe take us through this journey of like growing in this industry and like? What made you go from data analyst to data scientist and then to the DevRel? And we'll get into what is DevRel if some people are uh, thinking about what the what the heck is uh, DevRel. Yeah, I transitioned into the data world from being a data analyst first. Mm -hmm. um, that came after I was working in finance as a financial analyst. And that field really just was not the one for me, uh, was super burnt out from it and was looking for my next journey. Um, and that was a tough journey to embark on because at the time, all I had ever known was finance. And so had to figure out what my identity outside of finance was um, because I went to school for it, um, thought that was going to be my career. And then stuff happens and you're like, okay, I need to change my path. And I pivoted to data because I had taken a couple courses in college and I was like, data sounds cool and techie. Sounds like I can make money from this. And I have um, cut some skills in uh, like SQL or like working with spreadsheets, working with visualization tools. So I guess I could do data. And so that, uh, that transition took like three or four months. And then I became an analytics consultant or, or data analyst. Um, and from there, I moved on to become a data scientist at a small data startup um, called Narrator, where I was, I was there for a year and a half. And then from there, um, came to this role as a data advocate. And the, the kind of, um, core ingredient in like the core factor that played a big part in mm -hmm. all three of these jobs 
was my LinkedIn. I uh, had been writing on LinkedIn consistently ever since I had started that data analyst role because I just wanted to share my story of how I made that transition and also share some of the thoughts I had from um, from just like the daily struggles of the job, like things that I found funny, mm-hmm. things that I found difficult that I wanted to just like talk about and just mm-hmm. put out there because I really enjoyed mm-hmm. writing. And I also started to enjoy connecting with people who had the same struggles or who went through the same kind of story. And that was what I was starting to attract as I put in more time in my LinkedIn. Um, Looking back, yeah, I've been writing on LinkedIn consistently for exactly two years now. I started November of 2021. Um, And so when when I did, I had, like I said, no intent to be an influencer or like make money out of it. I was just writing because I wanted to write about things that I found funny, things that I found difficult. And a lot of people resonated with it um, because I was never trying to be anybody who was like a super high up exec who had like a lot of power, right? Like I was just like, I, this is like my my written diary, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, people started to catch on to that. And then I slowly started to grow my platform. Um, now I'm up to like 86K and it's still like, it still feels like a really small number. I'm like, I should be at a hundred K by now, man. Like I'm so obsessed with getting to hundred K, like <laughs> it's bad. But um, looking back, I'm like, I did kind of like amass a pretty big following over the course of two years. And um, this role got me to, um, to deep note because of that following that I had built. So my role now is very much like creating content, um, things that I was doing on the side just for myself on mm-hmm. my LinkedIn mm-hmm. every day in my prior roles, I now get to do it as a full-time job, but I would not have been able to get this job if I didn't build up the platform to attract um, Deep Note to notice me in the first place. So yeah. now it's like, it, I've kind of come full circle. Like I've put so much time into my writing and my platform mm-hmm. that now it is like my full-time job which can be hard sometimes because it writing on LinkedIn was just a side hobby, a, a passion project of mine. And now it's a, it's a full-time job. So you're, you're always like, where do I draw the line between um, something that I'm passionate about versus something that I make money off of? And it's like, you know, it's like, oh, like you love a certain restaurant, right? Like you like eating food at a restaurant. And then when you start to work there, you get sick of the food. And I hope that's not me, but it's um it's like for people who follow in this same path to go work with uh to work in Devrel, mm-hmm. they have this struggle too where they're like, mm, like I'm now doing something that was supposed to be a hobby and it's now a full-time job. So there's a lot of balancing there um mm-hmm. between like writing for yourself versus writing for your company that I'm still struggling to figure out because I've only been here for 2 months. Um but so far, it's been very good. Awesome. Thanks for this retrospective. It's a very interesting um, path, career path, uh, starting from financing, going through different roles in data and, and, and ending up uh, somehow uh, with a very important following uh, and, uh, and, and being able to uh, create content 
um, and, uh, and add value in this way. So I would like to come back on the part where you start just posting things. So two years can sound big, but it's not that much of a time. Uh, like depends, I believe the, the scale, but uh, it is also quite impressive uh, what you've achieved uh, in this time frame. Um, and so my question would be, how did you get into uh, like writing? So you said a little bit like posting and so on, but also I would love uh, if you could share about what made you start your first courses. Um, yeah. That would be very interesting. Sure. That started because of a viral LinkedIn post I had. Um, that viral LinkedIn post actually came in so handy at the perfect time because I made this one post one day that I didn't think anything of. And then next thing you know, it's almost at like 50,000 reactions. Oh. Um, and I made it at a time when I was just starting to look for my, my second job in data. And when I made that post, I attracted so many employers um, to notice me. And one of them was uh, who's the, the woman who would end up becoming my, my boss. Um, at, but another person um, who reached out to me after that post was a LinkedIn content manager. And she was like, hey, are you interested in creating a course with LinkedIn? And at the time, I was like, this has to be a scam. Like, mm -hmm. how are they, like, why would they reach out to me? I was like, maybe at maybe like five to 6,000 followers at the time. And I was like, why do they want to talk to me? Um, after that post, I like, it like doubled to like 11,000, right? But, um, and so from that conversation, a couple months afterward, I recorded my first, um, my first uh, course. Mm -hmm. And that was a course on SQL versus Python versus R. Mm -hmm. and the differences between those tools. So a pretty beginner friendly course um, that I recorded completely virtual or like uh, remotely from my house. Mm -hmm. And then after that, that led into my second course, which was SQL for Finance. And SQL for Finance was my first like real course where I was flown out to LinkedIn to do that. And mm -hmm. that was almost exactly a year ago. And it was, it was so fun, um, but so much work because as I'm sure you know, when you create creative pieces um, that are seen by other people, like there are so many different factors to it, right? Like the script, how the video looks, uh, how the sound is, right? Like, and, and with LinkedIn, like they were actual professionals. And so the whole week that I was in the LinkedIn learning uh, studios, it was like all work. Um, and so it was, it was fun, but it was a lot of work to create that course and get it up and running, but it was worth it because that course now has a hundred, 105, somewhere between 105 and 110,000 learners. Um, and I never expected it to, to do that well because my first course didn't do that well. Um, but apparently, you know, a lot of finance folks want to learn SQL and, um, yeah, learned a lot about that course in terms of like how, what goes into instructional design, what goes into um, teaching people skills. But th those those lessons that I learned um, mm -hmm. absolutely equipped me for my current job, where part of my job is to educate users on how to use our our product. So um, yeah, 
looking back, it was a lot of work, but it was worth it. Awesome. Uh, this is a very fun journey. Uh, so coming back to the dev DevRel role, Uh, could you share a little bit more about uh, your new company and like how does a dev role, a dev rail role work? So I understand that it's creating content part of it, uh, like to um, show how to use a product. Uh, correct me, and, and I'll, I'll ask you right now. But uh, um, yeah, I think I, I let you <laughs> answer this question. Uh, but uh, how yeah. how does that work, and 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 how what do you do? Yeah, I had somebody once who was like, was like, oh, I thought your job was just writing content, like creating content on LinkedIn. And I was like, I make it seem that way because I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, but that's just one very small part of it. Um, content is a, is a huge part, but also creating the community around our product. And mm -hmm. that was part of what I was hired to do, which is... Um, get the get the broader data community to know mm -hmm. what DeepNote is um, and build our own community. Mm -hmm. um, so that means, you know, jumping in in conversations that are happening on like Reddit, Hacker News, Twitter. Um, it also means running events for the community, like meetups and going to speak at conferences and making connections at those events. Um, those those kinds of events were things that I had never done before. Mm -hmm. um, like coordinating data dinners and um, speaking at these conferences on super technical talks. Like I had never done any of that before. And over the past month, I've started to lean into that. And it is super nerve wracking, um, especially if you've never done it before to mm -hmm. be in such a public facing role. Um, especially if, you are so for me i my strength was in written communication mm -hmm. and verbal communication like you and i are doing was not something that i had ever done in any other roles mm -hmm. um so it was the the process of transitioning my written skills into other forms of communication um that was like the hardest thing for me to pick up on um that people underestimate when you're thinking of devrel roles because you're right. not just creating content mm -hmm. um, or you're not just going out on talks or you're not just creating youtube videos right um there for a lot of people devrel the, they're in devrel roles where they're the only devrel person or developer mm -hmm. advocate at their at their job and so they're expected to just they're expected to do all of these things and um yeah had to pick up on a lot of different skills like video editing, um, digital marketing, SEO, um, event planning, um, like creating at like designing assets that would be shared on, um, like d designing assets through Figma and mm -hmm. creating a picture for a post, right? Like I was like, I thought I was just here to write, um, which is what I love to do. But apparently there are a lot of other things around writing Mm -hmm. um, that are involved in the process when you are in an outward facing role like this, that people mm -hmm. don't often know about. So it's not just like, it's DevRel is so many different things. Um, and one DevRel person could be doing like different part, like a, they could be focused on just like maybe just blog content and going to conferences and a different DevRel person could be more focused on, um, 
participating in conversations that are happening on social media that the company is part of, or, mm -hmm. you know, like different DevRel have different responsibilities in, in different companies. And that's just because it's a very new field, very niche mm -hmm. field that not many people have a very um, defined understanding of. And so it could be, it could mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, depending on the company. Right. Makes sense. That's very interesting because you can, because I believe that the DevRel role um, can be a very creative role in a way that, uh, I mean, what you want is impact metrics of the company. And so based on those metrics, you can take specific actions that are not uh, necessarily what we could expect coming from mm -hmm. that analyst role or data scientist role, like you mentioned, like some marketing tasks or like working on designs and, and a branding. Um, uh, I wasn't aware of the, the events and, and so on. So mm -hmm. that's, um, that's very interesting. Um, that's very interesting role. I would like to ask you about your uh, unique vision on finance and data. So you have a, an interesting, uh, uh, you've seen both. Uh, you're, you're from a finance background and, and you switched to, to data, like you said before. So I, I, would, I wanted to ask you about what are like the main uh, things, the main difference, um, maybe not differences, but the main uh, things that you've seen as a, uh, in finance, in data, and like if finance people uh, are getting up to date with SQL or technology or not, like, do you have some insights regarding those two industries? Yeah. By and large, my experience with data has been mostly spreadsheets. And um, that was like the primary tool that I had used when I was a financial analyst was using Excel. Mm. Um Towards the end of my time as a financial analyst, my company was like, oh, we should learn more about data analytics. And I was yeah. like, what does that mean? Like learn more about data analytics? Like there's so many different things that are involved in data analytics, right? So mm -hmm. in my company at the time, they were like, that means we'll learn Power BI. And I was like, okay. And so we like had one project where we were working on Power BI and like one training that the whole company had to participate in about, or our whole team had to participate in to learn about what Power BI was. And mm -hmm. at the time um, I was like, oh yeah, like, so data analytics is just Power BI. Um, and that was because I was coming from this world where Excel was everything. Um, and so applying that knowledge from Excel, exclusively Excel to later on the data stack that I had um, when I was an analytics consultant, it, that was not too far of a jump um, because during that time I was still using a lot of um, Excel, but we were, we, we used a bunch of SQL as well. Um, Tableau, Power BI, Python, R, right. And all of those things I had a better understanding of because I came from the foundation of spreadsheets and tabular data um, that I had kind of taken for granted when I was a financial analyst, I was like, Oh, it's just Excel, right? Like everybody in the world knows how to use Excel. That's actually mm. false. Not everybody knows how to use Excel. Mm. And you can learn a lot from Excel um, in terms of how to conceptualize tables and like databases and warehouses. Mm. You can 
have a better understanding of that if you come from the foundation of using Excel mm-hmm. um, that I had I had underestimated that. I had underestimated the value of knowing Excel um, until afterward. Um, mm-hmm. And so in terms of tooling, they're not completely the same, but there are there are bridges between what a financial analyst's tool stack looks like compared to a data analyst for say. And at the end of the day, they're still, they're both analysts, right? You're, you're doing the work to, as you said, find value in numbers. Um, and you're communicating that to business stakeholders. That is a commonality um, for both financial analysts and data analysts. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at the two fields, or if you look at any any two fields, right? You can most likely find those transitionary skills that apply to both that you mm-hmm. can speak to. Um, that sorry, transferable skills. That's what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like for anybody that I had spoken to who wanted to know how to make that transition from finance to to data, I'm like, think about those skills that um, apply to both fields, and talk about how you can apply the skills that you learn from finance into data. And when you think about it that way, like there are actually so many, so many transferable skills that you could talk about because like I said, at the end of the day, they're both analysts and they're both, they're both making sense of numbers and they're both telling stories to stakeholders. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you look at it that way, there really is not that the, the line between like finance and data is like not that big. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Um, so, and, and I like what you said about like Excel or spreadsheets gives you a very good understanding of, um, of how like when then you're thinking about your data model or if you're thinking about how your tables are or how do they look, they, they like playing sometimes on Excel and putting them concepts or like just trying, like if I struggle with a problem and I just open a spreadsheet, and I just start putting things on the Excel and I just like start re- um, reasoning with a spreadsheet. It's very powerful. And yeah. so, and that's, and all the concepts that we can see here uh, can apply to when we're going on SQL Power BI or when we are doing data modeling and so on. So that's Absolutely. very interesting. And I also like what you mentioned about um, the bridges between this industry. I believe that the finance, the financial industry can be a bit, um, late uh, sort uh, sort of speak uh, in terms of like adopting technology and 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 improving um, I mean automating things I believe yeah. that a lot of uh, the work could be automated and and, and provide more um, more space to do more things um, but that's very interesting and that's uh, for sure something that uh, I think is a message worth sharing, which is mm-hmm. that people from finance can go uh, to data um, and uh, and and learn whatever they need on the go because uh, some a lot of the skills can be transferred. Uh, yeah. Super interesting. Uh, I'd like to ask you two things. I'd like to ask you uh, a bit further on uh, regarding deep knots and what the company is doing and so on. Um, and, and I would like to ask you about uh, content creation in general. Uh, which one do you prefer to do first? Let's do the deep note one. Perfect. Um, at deep I mean, note? If you want, oh, yeah, if you want I can. No, no, sorry, I'm sorry. Um, my question regarding deep note is um, like, what is deep note? And then 
Well, first of all, let's start with what is DeepNote. Sure. At DeepNote, we are helping data scientists tackle their hardest problems. And by hardest problems, that might not mean the most advanced machine learning projects or like the most cutting edge applications of AI. Mm -hmm. um, often what we're finding to be the hardest problems are like organization of their data infrastructure or mm -hmm. um, simply being able to collaborate with non-data personas in their business. And those things sound simple when you mm -hmm. compare it to like the latest trends in, in AI or like machine learning, right? Like they don't sound sexy, but actually a lot of teams struggle with being able to um, first get up and running and, and set up their data infrastructure and, and know the most efficient ways to coordinate their data pipelines so that they can create cohesive analyses to deliver to their business stakeholders. Um, but also knowing how to share the work, the very hard work that they do, knowing how to share that work with um, people outside of their team. Because if you can't demonstrate the value that you have to the business, what good are you, right? And a lot of data scientists fall into this trap of thinking, hey, more fancy, more complex models, the sexier it sounds, the better. But actually, like, they're digging themselves into this hole where nobody understands their value, nobody understands what they're doing, and, like, that's when you become a cost center instead of a value center. Um, and so the, the problem of how do you democratize the data insights that come from data science teams to the rest of the business that collaboration problem is what we're trying to tackle at the core um, that most people do not think is a very hard problem to tackle. But in fact, there are a lot of roadblocks to um, making sure that an entire organization is on the same page as the data organization. Mm -hmm. um, because maybe the, maybe the, the data science teams themselves don't, want to be they don't want to like democratize their insights because they think like we're holier than thou or like we're doing things that you guys would never understand right but that's a, such a bad mentality because um you're not you're not demonstrating your value to to the business like you, you can't i don't know like be a team player if you are not able to explain your findings to the rest mm -hmm. of the company. And mm -hmm. so that's what DeepNote has set out to do. It's to create this really collaborative product that makes it easy for data scientists and non-data folks to communicate and speak the same terms, regardless of everybody's tech skills, um, mm -hmm. their technical skills. Um, and by creating a cloud-based collaborative notebook um, that that is a workaround to a lot of the issues that like Jupyter Notebooks have, for example, where Jupyter Notebooks, like you can't have multiple people work in the same document at the same time, or mm -hmm. you have to upload your, your notebook into GitHub um, and hope that your audience knows how to navigate GitHub to then download your notebook 
and then be able to run that notebook in their local machine, but then they might encounter like environment setup issues, right? Like all of those reasons that people hate Jupyter Notebooks is what we're trying to um, do much, much better at. And for the most part, that is like that for the most part, the issue that we're struggling with there is people just um, people being willing to try new things because Jupyter Notebooks is like so ubiquitous in data scientists workflows. And so often they're not they don't want to let go of these tools that they've been using for a very long time or try mm-hmm. anything new. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they do, they find that collaboration is much, much easier. Their workflows are much simpler because they don't have to worry about converting your Jupyter notebook into a PDF and like mm-hmm. sending that PDF um, to your to your boss, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of those those frictions that come in the process of being able to like just share your findings, we're trying to tackle those things. And and that's what we think is one of the biggest inhibitors to data scientists being able to just do the work that they're meant to be doing. Hmm. Awesome. Makes sense. I really like um, this mission is something that uh, I've I've heard a lot through times and seems very problematic, which is, this kind of uh, judgments between technical people and business people. Yes. And this is something very recurrent and somehow sad because I believe that just out of ego, we lose so much value and we mm. lose so much time also uh, because everyone is playing defense and... Mm not making much problems. Uh, so I think that's a huge, important problem to tackle. Um, and so in the, in the project, um, how, how do you like facilitate these gaps between uh, the two roles? Yeah. So without getting too in the weeds of like all of our features, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in DeepNote, you have one place where you can work with Python, SQL and no code visualization blocks. Um, that no code visualization piece is mm-hmm. huge because you can easily run that on top of um, the data frames that were created out of your Python code or your SQL mm-hmm. queries mm-hmm. and build beautiful plots out of them simply by dragging and dropping. Mm-hmm. And so that piece alone already helps a lot in bringing in business personas into the the data science workflow um, yeah. because now these business people are not like handcuffed to only be able to work at the mercy of the people who did the coding right because mm-hmm. now they can build um, they can build these visualizations out of it but also um, we have apps and apps are the polished interface that sits on top of the assembled notebook um, where you can say, hey, I want this and this and this part of my notebook and I want to show it in this um, polished interface that is interactive that you can easily hand over. You can share it with a link to your business stakeholders and they can just play around with the app. Um, Like one of our most popular apps on DeepNote was somebody created uh, like a, a time to sunburn calculator where you put in like, where do you live? What is your 
what is your like skin tone? Um, how much time do you normally spend out in the sun? You can like click it and it'll generate like how much time you can sit out in the sun without needing sunscreen. Um, yeah. And that app, if you were to look under the covers, it's like this this complex notebook where to data scientists, it makes sense, right? Like you have all of these inputs um, into whatever machine learning model it's using. But then when you see it in the app, um, it's just this simple clickable interface where anybody understands it. And so that app layer is our, is another big answer for us um, mm -hmm. when it comes to the question of how do you bridge the, um, the business folks and the data folks um, to be able to collaborate on the same thing and, and be on the same page when it comes to data projects. Um, apps are that thing that apps are our stickiness point where um, we we didn't we didn't know how how much value the apps would bring until we started seeing people report like, hey, this makes it so much easier to work with our business stakeholders. And like now we can't stop using apps because people outside of data, like they expect apps from us now. They don't expect mm. notebooks where you see all this code, right? Um, they want something that is much simpler and much more beautiful um, to work with. And that's how, that's the solution that we have for um, breaking down the barriers for full data literacy. Hmm. Makes sense. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, I believe that... Um... Like not showing any code is uh, sometimes the best way because just by like getting into a notebook, we can just create a, like scare some people and maybe like lose a bit of the attention and, and then lose um, the power of other messages or what we're trying to communicate or align on. Awesome. Um, I'll ask you, I think uh, one of my last questions I, I would like to ask you, it's... Um, like about content creation, right? Uh, so could you share maybe a little bit um, your view on content creation? You've been creating content for two years on LinkedIn now. Uh, you have a very impressive community and you produce a lot of content, both uh, out of passion and interest and some of it's also regarding um, your company. So how do you view content creation and do you have tips for people who are trying to communicate their growth on LinkedIn and sharing what they learn. Yeah. Content creation gets a bad rap. I think people, people say content creators are like this cringy thing and they're just out to like make money off of it and like sell ads and, and whatnot. Content creation gets a bad rap, but at the end of the day, content creation was my form of expressing myself. Um, like I had mentioned before, I really liked writing and sharing my thoughts on a platform where people just get it. People understand what I'm saying, um, because they share the same passions. And at the end of the day, that is the, that is the why on why I continue to create content. Um, and sure. Yeah. Like I've, I've had collaboration deals and sponsorships that have come from it. And that's nice, but they're not why I do it. Um, and so for anybody else who is considering content creation, um, don't think about it from like, hey, what money can I earn from this? Like what influence can I earn from this? Um, think about like why you want to do it in the first place, because 
content creation is something that takes so much time. Like it is, um, it is, it is not something like, especially consistent content creation to the point where you want to have like a decent following. It takes time. So you have to think about whether it is worth the time um, because you will likely have so many more flopped posts than posts that actually do well. Um, and so you have to dig deep and ask yourself like, why am I doing this? Because a lot of days you're going to be questioning that why, and you're going to have to be thinking back to like, why did I start this in the first place? Like nobody's reading my stuff. Um, this post absolutely tanked, like, you know, and so I ask myself that all the time, but yeah, like for me, it was just the desire to communicate myself in a way that I enjoy, which was writing and communicating myself in a way that others relate to. Um, so, so that is, that is my why. And it's, it's not to like have this influence. It's not to like end up on Times Square billboards like I did. It, it, you know, it's, it's a lot simpler reason. So I encourage people who, who are considering it, um, to understand that it takes a lot of time. It's a lot of work. And, it is absolutely like my side job that takes up a lot of hours every single night. Um, and so you have to think about the reasons that make it worth it. Hmm. Awesome. Awesome. So like find a good why before you start uh, putting things out there. Um, yeah. And, and, and to uh, add to that, like I know I didn't get into the details of like, how often you have to write or like what you should write or, or, you know, like the, the intricacies of that. But like mm -hmm. when you understand your why, I think it makes it so much easier to, to actually execute. Um, because if you're like, if you know that, Hey, it's like, I'm writing because I want to build my business or I'm writing because I want to become an expert in my field that will inform your voice. It'll inform mm -hmm. what you write. Um, and it'll like give you that clearer vision to actually execute but you do have to start with like why do i want to create content in the first place hmm. yeah i think that applies to a lot of uh, things in general like projects and like like having this matrix like what are we trying to achieve here uh and i believe that having the why is very important because we can then decide if some content is aligned with uh, or principles so i believe that having a set of um, principles that we determine to be Okay, this is why I'm starting to share because like you said, I believe that very few people start talking about a specific subject and like from a day to another, like thousands and thousands and thousands of people are like um, uh, very uh, engaged with their content and learning. Uh, or maybe someone with a lot of experience that just started, but like he's a legend in the field or something. But right. uh, I guess that uh, I've heard also that uh, when like um we see a younger profile um i've heard like all right but i have nothing to say or i have no expertise to share and i believe yeah. that like what you did and that is very inspiring is like uh you weren't like uh, 20 plus years of expertise in a domain but you just took the pains that you were having at the time and you just yeah. shared about it and uh, in a consistent way yeah. and somehow it ended up being um on a billboard <laughs> um yeah. 
yeah, at no point was I was I like, I'm an expert in this field. Like, in fact, when I was first beginning, I was just like, guys, I'm two months into this field. Like, guys, I'm less than a year into this field. Like, I was very explicit that like, I am not a pro and you should not view me as a pro. You should not like put me on any kind of pedestal because that puts a lot of pressure on me. So being real has a lot of benefits because people will relate to you. And I, I told this to um, some people I was educating. I was educating some people at my company on why it's important for you to build up a personal brand. And I was like, most people will connect with you um, not because of your expertise, but because of who you are as a human, because that is what social media platforms are. It's to connect human beings. Um, it's not for you to like co- connect with a celebrity, right? So mm-hmm. mm-hmm. got to think about that when you're on social media in general. Makes sense. I like to say in frames of like 10, 20 years. And like, I believe, all right, could I do this like for the next 10 years? And uh, if, that, if the response is mm, maybe, then yeah, I think mm. uh, I might be on something interesting because uh, then like you said, social media, I, get, I think we get the best value out of it when we can have accountability through time and maybe people will see you sometime um, one year and they'll see you at some other time and then they'll see you again at some event and it's compounding effect and then at some point right. you end up having a, a lot of expertise and 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 people have seen you grow kind of uh, and yeah. share um, uh, either it's uh, on a day to day or uh, or year to year two last questions that would be the first one um, how can people reach out and know more about you like is it LinkedIn or do you have website blog what do you have just my LinkedIn for now um, and starting to grow my TikTok. Um, shameless plug for that. Um, it's Megan Loves Data on there. Um, so if you like reading what I write about, sometimes I talk about it um, on my TikTok. So TikTok and LinkedIn are how you can reach me. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Megan, for taking the time to coming on the show. My last question is, do you have a message for the Let's Talk AI community? It can be about life, about anything professional, but do you have one last word that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, my last message is that the data community is a very tight-knit one, but it's super supportive. And I've only recently realized that um, because I've been going to a lot of conferences and um, meeting these people in person, you realize how small this world is, but how willing they are to stick out their necks for you and find you opportunities. I found that out when I went through my last job search. Um, I was let go from my last job. And then I, I put out a message on LinkedIn saying that I was back on the job market. And that message alone, like connected me with so many people who are like strangers willing to help out. And I think, um, that is something that's very unique about the data community is that like, because we're in such a niche field, um, you're probably connected to everybody in like however many degrees of, of separation, right? Um, and so I really encourage people to build their, build their network um, if you are in this field, because there are so many benefits to it. You will find those people who are so willing to help out um, and help you grow that you would not be able to, if you, if you didn't put a conscious effort into building your network. Um, so do it, especially, I mean, that's a, that's a piece of advice for everybody, but 
especially in the data field. Um, and you will see the benefits of it. And I, I really have been seeing the benefits of that lately. Awesome. Well, thanks again for your time. Again, I had an amazing time. Thanks for sharing all of this and I wish you to have a wonderful day. Yeah, same to you, Thomas. Thanks for inviting me for this chat. Congrats, you've made it to the end. I hope you had a great time and that you learned a few things. To learn more about AI, you can subscribe to my newsletter or check the blog. And to support the podcast, you can give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also share it with two friends, colleagues or family members that might be interested. I wish you to have a wonderful day. Bye.